what, what, I mean, what, what is this thing? And, and we could play the game where I gave everybody a piece of paper and let you write down what a disciple is. And my money is on that three of you would actually get what we've taught here over the course of time. And then the rest of you would have something really close and similar but different. You want know to do this? Because I do this all the time in trainings, and it happens all the time in trainings. So, what is a disciple? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, we're going to talk about this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do not, please, do not miss the weight in that sentence. All authority. Where? In heaven. And earth has been given to me. All right, like, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm around law enforcement and I'm around people that, that have a little more power, I, I, I tend to be a little more respectful. I, 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 I tend to, to not be as cavalier. I'm not saying I'm a complete rebel all the time, but when I'm around those people, like I got to go through TSA in you know, a couple weeks, I'll, I'll, I'll be mindful of them. I don't want to draw any extra attention to anything. Julie has a history of doing that. Um, but <laughs> I just looked over at the right time, so I was in there. And, yeah. um, you, you know, I'll, I'll be a little more respectful. I'll do it. And, and this is Jesus. Steps off his throne in heaven. What comes next is often important. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's the question that has to be asked. Not what is a disciple. Okay? We'll get to that. The question that has to be asked is what did those Within the earshot of Jesus, what did they hear and what did they understand? Does that make sense? Like, like those guys are there and, 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 and there's others there. When Jesus spoke that out to them on the mountainside, what did they hear and understand? This is an important question to ask when interpreting anything. What did the audience understand the directive to be? And I'll, I'll show you this in just a minute. We ask this question in our life group material when we, when we do the story because it's important for us as, as, as God is speaking to us through the text, what did those who originally heard it or, or the audience that received it, what did they understand that message to be? In studying ancient literature of any kind, there are rules and practices that must be followed so that our current culture can understand the proper context. It's called hermeneutics. It's, it's a couple of classes they teach in Bible college. It, it's the rules and the practices for studying ancient manuscripts, especially as it pertains to the Bible. What are those rules? And one of those rules is what did the audience that first heard it, what they understand? So, in doing some research of the English language this week, it's fascinating. I learned that the word set, S-E-T, has over 400 different uses 
in the English language. You think about that, said. But here's the crazy thing. It's not even the word that has the most. The word run has over 600 different uses according to the Oxford English Dictionary. Yeah. I don't have an online subscription to the Oxford English Dictionary. It is required if you want to go deep into it. I do know that I counted 153 before they said, you need to give us some money to count paying up goats. 600 different uses of the word run. Think about it. Right? Like when you think of run, automatically what comes to mind most of the time is you run. Like I'm running for exercise. Like whoever those people are, what's wrong with you? You know, something's off there, but that's another story. I'm running because... I'm, I'm, I'm running because somebody is chasing me, maybe. Like, it's, it's the, the body is picking up the feet and putting them down as fast as they can, and I'm running. Right? Well, then there's running errand. I, I realize something about when I leave the office and somebody is here, and it, even when somebody, I'll just tell everybody, I'm going to run there and I'll be back in a little while. That usually means lunch, okay? But it sounds more important if I say run there. Well, I'm not running, as in somebody's chasing me or exercising. I'm getting in my vehicle to go accomplish a task. Or, you know, this probably happened once or twice in your life. Um, we had a run-in with somebody. You know, maybe the law. Hopefully you didn't run literally into them, but we had a run-in. Well, that run is not accomplishing a task. It's not getting or, 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 or uh, picking up your feet and putting them down. You, you know exactly what I'm saying. I remember this travesty growing up as a child of the 80s and 90s. My mom or sister would get a run in their pantyhose. <laughs> Look out, that would ruin the day. Couldn't go to the event. You motorcycle people, those of you, maybe you late people, participate in some poker runs. There's the home run. What's the run time of this sermon? And the list goes on and on and on. One word, three letters, 600 different uses based on context. Now let's take this thought of understanding context one step further. If I said to you, Go to the grocery store when you leave church. You must go to a grocery store when you leave church. I mean, that could be Holloway's, that could be Aldi, the Kroger, it could be Walmart Marketplace, whatever. But if you go to the grocery store, you wouldn't go to Home Depot or Electronic Express. Because you get, okay, he said go to a grocery store. That means any one of these things right here, even though I can get some of the same items at Home Depot, if you're not doing your grocery shopping for snacks there, you're missing out, right? You can get some of the things at Home Depot that you can get at the grocery store. You understand it enough that I said, go to a grocery store. However, if I said, go to Publix, you now know, because you understand, oh, Michael's a big fan of Publix, he talks about it all the time, you now know, hey, even though we can get some of the same stuff at Walmart, he wants us to go to Publix. 
what we've done in our Western way of thinking is we have taken the command, go make disciples, and we've given it this very vague and loose definition that can be interpreted and used many different ways. For the longest time, this verse didn't even apply to everyday church-going Christians. You want to know why? Because y'all are sitting here right now and not in the mission field. This verse, often taught in churches across America, it was, hey, let's not even talk about that verse because we know that that means we've got to go into the world and, and we've got to give up everything and we've got to go live you know, in Cambodia or something. That's the understanding that was embraced for decades around this command, go make disciples. And so this is what we've done. We've done this with the word disciple. We've watered it down. We, we have not taught it fully. So when you look it up, you have Google or whatever, and you look it up, you're going to see a couple of different definitions. The most common definition is student. Okay, yeah, we like that. That's safe. That doesn't necessarily mean I've got to actually go somewhere. I, I, I mean, I, I, a disciple is student. I can be a student. I grew up in the Christian church. Y'all know this. From the age eight is when I started going to church. I studied at Christian college. Uh, two of them, actually. Uh, the word disciple was rarely discussed or mentioned. Now, I know I was not the most studious, studious high school student and Certainly was not attentive to everything, and I'm sure it got talked about somewhere along the way, but I have no recollection of Tom Plank, Galilee Christian Church, teaching and focusing on this command, go make disciples the way we do right now. The teaching of intentional discipleship has been rarely mentioned in churches in the 80s. In 90s, and only until recently, maybe the last decade, has disciple and discipleship become a buzzword. Here's the thing about this Michael does not get to define what it means. We, we don't get to define what biblical commands are based on our culture. That's how the gospel gets watered down. And we have certainly done that. But it's not correct. Take forgiveness. Michael does not get to define what forgiveness is. Michael's definition or interpretation, or probably better off, my use of my practice of forgiveness is this. I'll just ignore you if you wrong me. I, I, I'll just avoid you at all costs. And if, 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 if we have to be around one another, I'll just put on a front and act like everything is okay in your presence until I'm gone. That would be Michael's definition of forgiveness because believe it or not, all right, like, like, like that, that can be easier just to avoid the person that has wronged me. But you guys know as well as I do as I talk about that, that's not what forgiveness is according to God. We don't get to define the commands and the words found in Scripture. 
That's why we have to ask. What did they, the disciples on the mountainside, what did they hear and understand? They heard Jesus give this command. Go and make disciples. And here's the crazy thing. Believe it or not, they understood exactly what Jesus meant. They did. They lived this out. And you see the evidence of this in the early church. They understood. So, now that I've told you, we don't get to define what things are. Let me give you two minutes of historical evidence from the first century where Jesus lived, okay? And give you another. It's just, it's just historical. This is what was going on culturally. The Mishnah, if you've heard of the Mishnah, the Mishnah became the first document of rabbinic Judaism. It categorizes all 613 commands in the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? It, 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 it categorizes these 613 commands of the Mosaic Law. The, the Mishnah is this separate document. And here's the crazy thing. The first writings of this document were written three centuries before Jesus walked on the earth. Okay, now it was not completed because it was this work in progress. It was not the authoritative word of God, but it was this rabbinic article that kind of grew and grew and grew, and it's all based on the Torah. Okay, two minutes, here we go. Children began their study. This is historical. Children began their study at age four to five. Written how many years before Jesus, by the way? This is important. Three centuries. Three centuries before Jesus got here. Children began their study at age four to five in Bet Sefer. That's two words. Think elementary school. Most scholars believe both boys and girls attended the class in the synagogue. They didn't have formal schools like we have. The teaching focused primarily on the Torah, emphasizing both reading and writing scripture. Large portions were memorized and it is likely that many students knew the entire Torah by memory by the time this level of education was finished. The first five books of the Bible. Entirely memorized. At this point, most students, certainly the girls, stayed at home to help with the family, and in the case of boys too, they would learn the family trade. It is at this point that a, a boy, a young man, would participate in his first Passover in Jerusalem, a, a, a ceremony that probably forms the background of today's bar mitzvahs in Orthodox Jewish families. Now, you think about being four and five, starting this, doing this five, six years, going back home, learning the family trade, and then say around 12 or 13, you would participate in your first Passover. And if I remember correctly, Jesus was about 12 when he stayed behind in the temple and he was asking these excellent questions for the teachers in the temple at his first Passover. The best students continued their study while learning the trade, 
This level of school is called Bet Midrash, secondary school. It was taught by a rabbi of the community. Here, they studied the prophets, they studied the writings uh, in addition to Torah, and they began to learn the interpretations of the Torah, to learn how to make their own applications and interpretations. Memorization continued to be important because most people did not have their own copy of the scripture, so they either had to know it by heart or go to the synagogue to consult the village scroll. Memory was enhanced by reciting aloud a practice still widely used in Middle Eastern education, both Jewish and Muslim. Constant repetition was considered to be an essential element of learning. All right, so you catch me. We've already learned the first five books of the Bible. Now, starting about 12, we're going to continue on with our education, and we're going to learn some of the Old Testament prophets. And I'm not just going to go study the scroll that the rabbi has. I'm going to go and learn it. I'm going to go and recite it. That's 12, 13, 14. A few, those are very few, of the most outstanding Bet Midrash students, they would seek permission to study with a famous rabbi, often leaving home to travel with him for a lengthy period of time. These students were called the Talmudim. In Hebrew, it means, it means disciple. Pay attention to this. I know I'm over my two minutes. There is much more. There is, there is much more to Talmud than what we call students. A student wants to know what the teacher knows for the grade to complete the class or the degree or even out of respect for the teacher. That's what a student does. A Talmud wants to be like the teacher. That is to become what the teacher is. That meant that the students were passionately devoted to their rabbi and noted everything he did or said. This meant the rabbi Talmud relationship was very intense and a personal system of education. As the rabbi lived and taught his understanding of the scripture, his students listened and watched and imitated so as to become just like their rabbi. 300 years before Jesus came on the scene. And eventually, they would become teachers passing on a lifestyle to their own disciples. They are leaving home after years of intense study. They are leaving mom and dad so that they can go and, and, and study under a rabbi so that they could, for no other reason, become just like this person. And it was the greatest honor. You National Honor Society people, you people that have high academic marks and, and you're graduate, graduating cum laude and all that kind of stuff. And I probably didn't even say that correctly, I know. Uh, hey, look here, it, 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 it was equivalent of that, except with more passion and fervor. This is what everybody wanted. And so if I was rejected by the rabbi, that meant I had to go back home. Do whatever trade I learned. 300 years, this system is in place. 
before Jesus comes on the scene. What did they hear? What did they understand? The, the beauty of this is the invitation to be in relationship with Jesus gives us the definition. Some guys fishing, right? Peter, his brother, James, John, they're with their dad. Why are they with their dad, these young Jewish boys? Because they didn't graduate. They didn't get accepted by a rabbi. So they are now back at home, living with mom and dad. They're learning the trade. They're doing the trade. They're making a living in hopes that they can one day have their own children with the, with the effort to do the same thing. They're fishing. And this guy has been teaching along the shore. And he does a little miracle if you read all accounts. He steps into the boat after they've been fishing all night. He tells them, hey, I know you're cleaning your nets, hey, but just, just throw out over here real quick. Man, it is like, there's fish everywhere. I've, I've been studying some stuff on Peter. The average fishing boat was only seven feet wide. Right? So we've been fishing over here and not got anything. Now Jesus tells us to put it over here. We, we just, we've tried. And nothing's working. Now we've got a bunch of fish. Peter falls down. Says, you are the Messiah. You, you're this guy. Here's what Jesus says. And I don't know how many other people are there, but I know four, probably five, because Zebedee's mentioned in there too. I, I, I know that at least five heard this. Follow me. And I will make you fishers. What they do? See you, Dad. Got a better deal. They were accepted by the rabbi. And they didn't have to hesitate. They didn't have to think twice. Peter's married. He's like, gotta go. I'm gonna follow the rabbi. Because of the honor that came with it. And so in this invitation, is the definition. It's the understanding to our question, what is a disciple? Well, well, it's simple. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's three parts to this. And we, we haven't been taught to think through this in three parts. We think about the invitation to follow me. Okay, I gotta drop my nets, gotta drop what I'm doing, I gotta go follow Jesus. For Peter and and, and James and Andrew and John, it was a literal drop what I'm doing and let's, let's go, let's walk. It's a little bit different for us. We'll talk about that next week. But you have the invite in this, in this command. Follow me or this invite. Come. I will make you. That's, that's the second part of this. This is the transition, which means, hey, right now, you're like smelly fishermen. Like you're fishing for fish. I'm going to make you. There, there's a transition that's going to take place. There's going to, or a transformation that will take place in your life. I will make you. And then there's the third part of this, fishers of men. You're no longer fishers of fish. Yeah, you'll get to do that some, but now you are fishers of 
men. So this verse gives us three parts, and it's what a disciple is. Here's, here it is. We're almost done, church. A disciple is a person who follows Jesus. Is formed by Jesus seeks to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Now, that's what we use as part of our literature here at church. But you see this taken directly from Matthew 4.19 and Mark. There's an invite to follow. There's a transformation of who you are that's going to take place. And then your focus is now going to be on the mission of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. Disciple is a person who follows Jesus who's formed, who's being formed by Jesus, and who seeks, who seeks to fulfill the mission of Jesus. So we break these three down over the course of the next couple of weeks. So, why? Why today? Why, why is this important that we have the same understanding? Is it, is it not okay that First Baptist has their deal and we have our deal? Is it, is it not okay that, that Huntsville Christian Church has our understanding and you have your understanding? Like, like, is that not okay? No, it's not. Can you imagine the chaos that would ensue if one church had one definition of disciple and another church had a completely different, different definition? And you went from one to the other, and they're teaching that this is what a disciple is, and now they're teaching this. Paula, Dave and Paula Evans are living this right now. I've been texting with Paula just yesterday, as a matter of fact, or day before yesterday. About this, about, about this very thing. Can you imagine the chaos then? The confusion that happens? How about if Michael has his definition of what a disciple is? And, and Perry or Caleb has their own different definition. And, and, and I invest in somebody for a period of time. And then that period of time kind of comes to an end. And, and Perry's like, you know what, I'll step in here. But Perry has his own different definition and understanding of what a disciple is. Who's right? Think about the confusion that then takes place. You want to know where denominations in the church came from? It goes back to this very thing. Improper understanding of what Jesus' words meant. And the Roman church thought this, and the English church thought this, and you could just go on and on and on and on and on, and it's just branched, and it's done nothing but cause division. You want a better understanding of this concept? Think about being a parent. And you and your spouse have different values for raising your children. And you teach one thing and the other parent teaches the other thing. And this is acceptable and this is acceptable. And this is not acceptable and this is not acceptable. Many of you have lived that. And you know what chaos and confusion. You, you know, man, the poor children are being pulled this way and they're being pulled this way. And what it does to society year after year after year as this happens. This very mindset has infiltrated God's church. And as a result, there's division. It's normal because we've grown up with it. And Satan. 
Satan knows it. So, what do we do? Charge out there today and go make disciples, right? Start. <laughs> James wrote this. We're done right here. Would you hear what Jesus wrote? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, I'm going to ask you to be full-on obedient to the Word and the authority of God's Word given to us always. But I'm going to ask that you just maybe pump the brakes a little bit. Like, have some conversations. Listen to the next three weeks of some of these barriers and these roadblocks. And maybe for you sitting here today, it's not let me go make disciples. Maybe for you sitting here today, it's I need somebody to speak wisdom into my life. Maybe that is where we need to start. Because many of you hear this, you're like, man, how can God ever use somebody like me? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not worthy of this. Who am I? to ever speak into the life of other people. Trust me, I wrestle with that one weekly. So I'm just asking. Let God's word just resonate in your life. Let's do some more teaching in the coming weeks. And, and then let's have some conversations. If you are so convicted. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Man, a little history lesson. God, I, I just ask, as always, your word meets us where we are and we respond. And I don't know where everybody is. Some, I'm sure, is bored, weren't ready to get lunch. Some are, have more questions than answers. Some are feeling guilt. Some are feeling encouraged. Let's go conquer the world. I just ask God that, that we trust in your word. However you're convicting us to respond. Thank you, God, for speaking to us. Amen.